I'm Bonnie Lin, Director of the China Power Project and Senior Fellow for Asian Security at CSIS. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we're discussing what it's like to view China's 20th Party Congress from the inside. What happened at the Congress? What changes were announced at this major party meeting? And how does the 20th Party Congress stand to shape future Chinese policymaking? Here to discuss this and more is Mr. Chong Yen Chao of the South China Morning Post. Mr. Chao joined SCMP in 1998. Over the past two decades, he has risen through the ranks to the role of executive editor via the City China Business Desk. He oversees the newsroom's day-to-day operations, managing the website and print publications, and supervising the Post China and U.S. coverage. Chang Yan, thank you for joining us today. So the topic of our discussion today is the 20th Party Congress, and particularly what you've seen from actually being there and having a look from the inside. So I'd like to, before we get to what attending the Party Congress felt like, I'd like to get a little bit more information from you in terms of how did you get selected to even participate or attend the 20th Party Congress. What was the selection process, and was there rigorous vetting? So personally, I didn't get the opportunity to go to the Great Hall of the People、um, because、uh, this time, because of the COVID restriction, so they only allow people who are already based in Beijing to register. So first of all,、uh, for any media organization to get the credential, then、uh, you will have to have the reporter's pass. Issued by the Chinese government for those、um, uh, reporter who are based in Beijing、uh, for the long term. So in my case, because I was、uh, planning to travel from Hong Kong to Beijing, but just before my trip,、uh, I was actually infected、um, uh, with the coronavirus. So I simply could not go to Beijing. But because I'm in charge of the SMP coverage. Of the、uh, event, so I can talk briefly about my colleagues' experience. So, like I said, this time、uh, because of the COVID control, so you have much fewer number of journalists who can、uh, make the trip and go to Beijing to cover the event. And then they also have this、uh, very stringent crowd control measures. So, like the South China Morning Post. We were only given uh, uh, three uh, reporters' uh, slots, so we have to provide the name and also the journalist credential issued by the Chinese government in advance. So、uh, for them to go through the screening, and then、um, in the end,、uh, all the name we submitted to the organizer were approved. So we have、uh, three. Colleague registered for the event. Can I ask?、Um, do you have a sense of how many total media slots there were, and were there any、uh, foreign media allowed, or was it mainly domestic media? It's a it's always a mixture of、uh, foreign media and the domestic media. So we still see、uh, quite many、uh, foreign media organization. Uh, reporters there, but the overall number uh, of uh, reporters, I think, if、uh, compared with、uh, five years ago, then understandably is probably somehow less. 
I don't have the statistics, and it's never、uh, released by the Chinese government. But as I mentioned, because of the COVID restriction and the control, so I will say that、uh, the overall number probably is somehow、uh, fewer. But、uh, of course, overall speaking, there's still healthy mix of、uh, foreign and、uh, domestic reporters. And in terms of the、uh, COVID or security concerns that your colleagues had to take in order to be in Beijing or be at the Great Hall, could you share what were the measures that were required? You said folks had to arrive there early, but if you could share a little bit of the details of what folks had to go through in order to cover it and what sort of hours, how did it operate? We'd really appreciate it. Right. So before the actual opening, reporters were asked to、uh, check in a designated hotel, and then they will have to do COVID test. I think the、uh, the first day is、uh, once a day, but then、uh, afterwards is、uh, twice a day. So twice a day they will have to do the、uh, COVID testing. And then it's the same as for the closing ceremony for the reporters who want to actually go to the Great Hall. Again,、uh, they will need to do the COVID test beforehand. But、uh, in general, I think、um, our observation is、uh, most journalists choose to cover the day one、uh, ceremony because、uh, that's the event where Xi Jinping will give the his work report. While as the closing ceremony, the number of、uh, journalists、uh, tend to be fewer because that's、uh, largely ceremonial,、uh, and the the main thing is actually、uh, the the next day、uh, after the closing ceremony where they will unveil the Politburo Standing Committee member to the public. So was、um, South China Morning Post there the entire time, or mainly there for the more important time periods, the beginning, maybe parts of the closing, and the day after? The whole event lasted lasted for a week, so from October sixteen until twenty second of October, we actually、uh, stayed there the whole time. So in between, there were some、uh, press conference, and we also attended those、uh, press conference. Great, thank you. I like to transition now to looking at the actual content and activities at the Party Congress. Perhaps I'll start off with a question of what surprised you or your colleagues at the South China Morning Post the most about Xi Jinping's、uh, Party Congress work report. Was there anything that you didn't expect or you thought was new or suggested a significant change on China's part? Because the work report, uh, uh, this this is、uh, for the party congress, so it's different from the work report they deliver at the annual parliamentary session, the、uh, National People's Congress. So this one is actually not for concrete policy, but、uh, rather for like the strategic planning and also for Xi Jinping to explain his vision for the next five years. So I think uh, one thing uh, uh, you can say that、uh, surprised us the most is actually the actual length of the uh, the, the whole uh, speech, because last time five years ago, Xi Jinping's、uh, speech is、uh, was well over three hours. So、uh, many people expected this one to be、uh, at least as long as that, but、uh, in the end, he delivered a much shorter speech. 
he finished the whole thing as soon as one hour and five minutes. So that was、uh, quite a shock to many people because、uh, it's、uh, it's、uh, it's a departure from tradition for the party、uh, chief to deliver such a shortened work report. But of course,、uh, after uh, the the meeting, the,、um, uh, they gave reporter a written copy, and the written copy、uh, is actually that we found out is actually the full version. So it's almost as long as the last time. So that means that Xi Jinping chose to give a condensed version. Then again, that's、uh, quite a surprise. It's a departure because、um, normally the party chief will have to read out the full report. So only in the modern history we only have、uh, one last time. Is I think it's、uh, during Jiang Zemin's time. At that time, Jiang Zemin was already seventy-three, if I remember correctly. So he gave also a simplified version. So because、uh, this may sound、uh, technical and trivial, but it actually carry political message there, because、uh, the work, the party's work report normally is a、uh, uh, has been seen as a consensus building thing. So this is a, a once every five year work report. So every faction in the party or every interest group in the party will want to insert their message or their agenda、uh, into the、uh, work report. That is why the work work report first first of all is tend to be very long, and the second is the、uh, party chief norm, normally will have to read out the entire report. So this is、uh, uh, seen as a kind of.、Uh, Consensus building and also to give face to every interest group by condensing the work report、uh, is actually in a sense is the message、uh, he sent out is that、uh, this time he has a much freer hand to decide what is the focus,、uh, what he、uh, want to leave out and what to include. He has. Much less、uh, need to take consideration of the factions'、uh, wish or factions' demand. So even before we know the final lineup of the、uh, leadership, new leadership, from this we can already、uh, guess that、uh, this is going to be a very much、uh, Xi Jinping-dominated event. There are also other people say that.、Uh, The last time、uh, for that、uh, three-hour、uh, work report, in the end,、uh, some of the elderly people、uh, really feel tired. So, because this is also one occasion where、uh, many of these、uh, retired Chinese leaders they would make a very rare appearance and appear on the podium together with the current uh, uh, leadership to. So basically, it's a show of、uh, unity. But many of these people are、uh, very advanced in their age, and、uh, sitting through like such a long speech can be very demanding for many of these people. So another possible reason for Xi to choose to condense the speech could be out of concern for them. But、uh, nevertheless, regardless,、uh, no matter what's the real reason, the very fact that Xi chose to cut the speech to nearly half. And select what part to highlight and what part to ignore tells you that he's in a very strong position. I would call that the biggest surprise. There are also other key messages he、uh, laid out, like、um, how China can achieve this what he called the Great Rejuvenation. Basically, means that、uh, 
by the mid of this century, uh, he wants to see China become a leading power. And he laid out some steps of how to achieve in that. But uh, those messages, to be frank, he said before. And then I think the, the last thing that I want to mention is uh, what uh, sounds new to many China observers is that the language itself. So in comparison with the past, past work report, which tend to be very cautious, and sometimes you can even call it very bland, this one, the language is, um, in comparison, is more forceful, uh, more direct and powerful. And at a various point, he used uh, uh, this uh, very strong language, like uh, calling for the party members to prepare for the dangerous storms ahead and talk about the need for uh, the party members to prepare for great struggles ahead. So language like that, I think it will be uh, uh, very uh, new and fresh to uh, many foreign observers, and can also be worrying because the tone sounds to them is more forceful than what they were used to. Can I ask, did you and your colleagues have a chance to compare what was omitted from Xi's shorter speech compared to the full work report? And what does that omission mean in terms of Xi's priorities? Right, I think the omission um, uh, to me, uh, first of all, is uh, the omission on various parts. But uh, uh, in general, it's like uh, uh, in the full report, he spent uh, much more time to talk about the challenges. China is facing, oh, oh, sorry, China faced uh, over the past five years. So in a sense, it's, uh, the normal structure of the work report is uh, you first talk about the challenges and the difficulties uh, you faced uh, for the past five years, and then the achievements you list uh, how you have overcome uh, all these difficulties and challenges. And then you talk about your vision uh, for the future, and then you can select different issue to highlight and to uh, to discuss. So uh, from the, the, the whole speech and the full version of the work report, he skipped uh, quite uh, some parts about the uh, past challenges. I, I, I think that's probably mainly because uh, on various other occasions, he has already said many times uh, about what are the, what were the challenges China have uh, overcome. And then uh, I think in the actual vision or the policy strategy part, I think he chose to focus more uh, to talk about uh, uh, the need for China to achieve self-sufficiency and become self-rely on its uh, development, particularly when it comes to technology, innovation, and and all that. This is uh, clearly um, in response to the U.S. and its allies, the technology ban and the attempt to uh, prevent China's uh, technology from catching up. Uh, And uh, on the Hong Kong issue, I think he skipped uh, some of the usual uh, language, like the, uh, I don't remember the exact wording, but uh, the part he chose to highlight in his speech is uh, uh, talking about the so-called the principle of patriots ruling Hong Kong and the patriots ruling Macau. Um, so I think uh, uh, it's not what he omitted 
that is interesting. I, I think it's rather what he chose to uh, in, uh, to still include in the speech because that very much tells you where the focus is. So in general, I think the focus very much is on uh, China's this uh, going forward China's uh, development model and the emphasis on the importance of uh, science and technology on issues like uh, uh, common prosperity, uh, on issues like China's need to uh, ensure that its economic growth uh, focus more on quality rather than just on quantity. And also talking about the uh, uh, the risk ahead, uh, he did not very explicitly naming these challenges one by one, but he did mention like uh, the COVID, uh, he did mention uh, about Taiwan, uh, and then uh, very inexplicitly without mentioning the U.S., he mentioned about uh, the, these uh, external factors and the challenges. Thank you very much for that very in-depth uh, parts of both Xi's speech and the full work report. I wanted to shift a little and ask you about the Party Congress as a whole and what other developments or, or meetings during this week-long event that we should be paying attention to. Because as you mentioned, most in the United States and the media were focused on the beginning and then the closing ceremony and not too much in between. Are there specific meetings or activities or discussions during the, in the middle of the week that we should be tracking or following more closely? Uh, the uh, party congress is actually, um, uh, like I said, it's uh, mainly about the personnel uh, reshuffle, so the leadership reshuffle. And then about the, the long-term vision and the strategy, uh, much less about actual policies. So uh, for that week-long meeting, the main purpose, because uh, for the leadership uh, reshuffle, particularly this time, I think a lot of the important decisions were made way before the actual Congress uh, started. So the Congress is not an occasion for uh, delegates to actually engage in debate and make decisions. This, uh, uh, this is the very unique type of um, uh, political culture in China. Unlike in the Western country where you have the parliament session or the congress session is uh, mainly for people to debate, discuss, and then uh, to vote, and then produce the uh, political decision or result. This one is actually mainly for communication. And in the sense that this is the top leadership uh, explaining that decision to the immediate supporting layer. So in this case, it's those uh, uh, central committee members, about uh, 205 of them. And then uh, there's also a bigger group. These are the delegates. They gathered, the party delegates, they gathered across the country. So they need to first... Uh, let them know what are the leadership decisions when it comes to the, the uh, leadership lineup and also the Xi uh, Jinping's vision, which is in the work report. And the third important thing is the revision to the party charter. So they, they use this occasion to brief and to explain to the uh, party, uh, party delegates. 
The party delegates theoretically also pro, uh, provide the feedback to the uh, leadership. And then uh, at, towards the end of the party congress, they will come out collectively to explain this to the outside world. So there are some press conferences uh, uh, staged in between the beginning and the end. But uh, most of this um, uh, press conference, I will say, is largely for propaganda purpose. So for reporters, uh, what your observation is very much true. For reporters, actually, most of the uh, uh, attention was uh, at the beginning for the work report and then focus on uh, the last day for the uh, leadership lineup and also the party charter revision. Thank you. So let's move then to sort of discussing the, the last day and uh, what happened. So, of course, you've seen the ample uh, coverage of how Hu Jintao was escorted out during the closing ceremony. What are your thoughts of why that happened and how should we read that? Yeah, I know there were huge, huge amount of interest in what happened there. And uh, that also caused a lot of um, uh, speculation. And then because of this round, um, the eventual leadership line up, I think uh, I can call it uh, come as a bit of a shock to many Western observers because uh, the thing is, uh, is uh, clearly that uh, all the people getting elevated, they share close connection with uh, Xi Jinping. And then uh, some of the, these other party leaders, like uh, Li Keqiang, or Wang Yan, also the Wu Chenghua. These are people considered uh, not the president's men, so to speak, because uh, like uh, uh, Li Keqiang and Wang Yan, they were promoted to the party leadership uh, uh, position before uh, Xi Jinping uh, uh, achieved the full control. So, so they, they have that different power base uh, than Xi Jinping. And uh, Hu Zhenghua, uh, he was uh, uh, groomed from uh, very early on to one day to, to take the top job. And then he also uh, uh, come from very different power background than Xi Jinping. All these people um, in the final lineup, they lost their uh, position. So, uh, and all the uh, people elevated to the top uh, are connected with Xi. So, I mean, to um, many observers, uh, this is uh, come really as a shock. So I, I think that uh, because of this result, there tend to be a kind of a emotional re- uh, projection on what's going on in China. To many people, this is step back um, because uh, starting from Deng Xiaoping's uh, opening uh, reform, the party, even though uh, China as a whole, particularly after the Tiananmen crackdown, China as a whole is not really going towards the uh, democracy direction. But at least there are some hope that uh, there will be internally, the party itself will exercise more political freedom and gradually opening up. But uh, what we see at least party congress is uh, clearly a reverse of the direction. So instead of uh, going down the so-called the Vietnam model, where the, the country as a whole is uh, not democratic, but uh, the uh, Communist Party itself become 
relatively speaking, more democratic than before. And the Vietnam uh, uh, Communist Party even allowed some form of uh, uh, internal competition and the election. Now, in China, you see a total reverse uh, uh, from this uh, so-called collective leadership model. And uh, Xi's message is very much about uh, concentrating power at the top, about uh, uh, party discipline and all that. So it's going against the direction many uh, China observers would like to see. So because of that, I, I think the reading into uh, what's happening uh, during uh, at the party congress and uh, for the outcome, that tend to be colored by the emotion. So this the best example of this, I think, is what you mentioned, the Hu Jintao episode. Now, first of all, anyone who are used to uh, uh, Chinese politics will find this uh, very uh, shocking or even strange, because normally this type of uh, meeting is uh, very carefully arranged so that there won't be any surprise. But this time, it's on camera. Uh, you see that President Hu Jintao sitting next to Xi Jinping. Then just uh, before Xi was about to give a um, closing remark, you see two staff approaching Hu Jintao and uh, trying to persuade Hu Jintao to leave. And then there's a uh, because uh, there's no sound, so we actually do not know what they said to Hu Jintao. And then you see that Li Zhangshu, another uh, leader sitting on the right-hand side of uh, Hu Jintao, uh, took away his um, uh, document and passed it to the staff. And then you see that uh, Hu Jintao seemed to be quite confused and also unwilling to go. But in the end, he stood up and was helped by these two people. And then uh, he left the room. And before leaving the room, I think uh, he briefly talked to Xi Jinping. And then Xi uh, nodded and uh, uh, smiled back. And then uh, when he passed by Li Keqiang, he also patted on Li Keqiang's shoulder. Now, this is a very dramatic uh, departure of the former president. Because normally you, you, you wouldn't have something as unexpected as this. Together with the fact that uh, the other uh, elder, Jiang Zemin, did not even make an appearance. So to many people, then this gave a lot of uh, room for all sorts of uh, theory and all sorts of um, imagination. I read one popular narrative is that Xi Jinping deliberately chose to take Hu Jintao out in such a public fashion as to shame his predecessor and as a warning uh, served to any potential rival. But uh, I think uh, this is uh, really, to me, this is uh, really stretching things because uh, as far as uh, according to our understanding of the situation is that uh, first of all, we know as a fact that Hu Jintao is that uh, for the past few years, his health condition uh, has never been very ideal. So uh, he's suffering from the um, uh, Parkinson's disease and also uh, diabetes and some other form of uh, illness. So before uh, uh, the closing ceremony, actually at the opening uh, ceremony, our reporter already noticed that uh, towards the end of the speech, uh, Hu Jintao uh, looks extremely tired, and he actually dozed off 
at some point. So uh, what from uh, later from the Xinhua uh, reporters' social media uh, posting, we know that uh, they actually, I mean, the Xi Jinping and the current leadership actually tried to persuade Hu Jintao not to attend, but uh, Hu Jintao did not want to be absent. So he insisted to attend. But uh, just before the session, then he appeared to be not in very good condition. Uh, there, we, we have reporter on the side saying that at some stage, he tried to take Xi Jinping's document because Xi Jinping was sitting next to, to him. So it looks like the, uh, the former president is not in great condition and uh, may have some confusion about his surroundings. So I think that that's uh, one of the reasons why uh, Xi signaled to ask people to uh, take Hu Jintao away and for him to uh, have some rest. I don't believe this is a kind of purge people described because uh, for several reasons. One is that uh, it doesn't work in Xi Jinping's favor to do that. So this is already the last day of the party congress. He already uh, get what he wants. He basically, all the leadership uh, line up is according to Xi Jinping's liking. He get his idea written in the party charter. If Xi wants to send a warning to any potential rival or uh, uh, show his hand, this is actually not the time to do it. He should and he could have done that much earlier. Now, normally at this uh, uh, moment, this is, uh, uh, you can call it a moment of a victory for Xi Jinping. Having Hu Jintao there, actually showing that uh, he have everyone's agreement and backing for the final decision will only work in his advantage. It makes politically no sense for him to do that at the, his uh, moment of victory to do that. And the second is uh, uh, the relationship between Hu Jintao and uh, uh, Xi Jinping actually are not bad because 10 years ago during the uh, power transition, Hu Jintao at that time chose to retire completely. Uh, unlike uh, Jiang Zemin, when he handed power to Hu Jintao, he actually chose to retain the military uh, power for another five years. And that actually crippled Hu Jintao's authority. So uh, Hu Jintao did not choose to do the same to Xi Jinping, even though at the time, uh, if you go back and uh, search the uh, media report, there were a lot of expectation that Hu Jintao may as well as do that, but in the end, he didn't. So I think for that, uh, uh, Xi Jinping uh, is actually quite grateful, and we heard. And then the second thing is, uh, you can see that in the media report afterwards, they used this uh, Chinese phrase, Gao Feng Liang Jie, so basically means a noble and a noble spirit and a very high integrity, uh, uh, a demonstration of high integrity to describe Hu Jintao. And uh, even though that uh, uh, Xi's policy is very much different than Hu Jintao's policy, his criticism, he never openly criticized the Hu Jintao at any point. So the two persons on the personal uh, level, their relationship is actually not bad at all. And uh, the third thing is that uh, it made totally no sense for Xi to do this uh, because in Chinese politics, if uh, 
this is the kind of、uh, the purge as described in the Western media. Then it will actually uh, uh, result in the、uh, division at the top level. Because remember, I, I mean, Hu Jintao, even though、uh, he now is physically fragile and and all that, but、uh, he has been the head of the state and head of the party for a decade. He has his、uh, supporter base, and he still has、uh, his influence. For Xi, at the end of the whole、uh, procedure, when he already got what he wants, and if he does something like this, it will actually result in a division within the party, and I can't see how that works for him. So all these factors、uh, combined, I mean, we don't have the inside information, but there is just no political logic. To read this as a deliberate act of purge. Thank you. I wanted to follow up a little bit about what you mentioned in terms of Hu Jintao, given his decade、uh, as the top leader and his power base, and and link that to a comment that you made earlier, which was that from all looks, the new Chinese leadership are mainly folks. Who are have very close connection with Xi Jinping. So as we move forward, do you think that there are still groups, whether those are fo- folks who are much closer to Hu or others, who actually have power among China's top leadership, to be able to push back against Xi Jinping, if, for example, they strongly disagree with the direction Xi is trying to take China, whether that's on foreign policy issues, economic or domestic politics. Right, I I think that、uh, there are several things we have to uh, remember. Uh, so on one hand,、uh, is that uh, this uh, party congress、uh, show very clearly that this is、uh, the end of the collective leadership. So、uh, collective leadership is actually this terminology to describe. So towards the end of the Cultural Revolution, the Communist Party itself. After the ten years' turmoil, it was very much like、uh, broken, and、uh, there were many different factions. And for the unity of the party, because uh, uh, Deng Xiaoping and others、uh, came to realize that、uh, if the party continued just to focus on、uh, the faction war and fighting against each other, then the party's very survival be really under question. So they came with uh, this uh, collective leadership. So basically, it's a consensus building to make sure that、uh, every faction have its、uh, representation and its voice. So it's a、uh, like a political, it's a grand political alliance,、uh, if you like. So this has been the model for the past forty years, and、uh, the high water of the collective leadership is actually under the Hu Jintao era. When、uh, at the time there's a this、uh, Chinese phrase called the Jiu Long Zhi Zhi Shui, so the nine dragons ruling the sky. So you have different、uh, faction carving up their own little kingdom, and、uh, that also actually triggered a a, a series of uh, uh, crisis and problem. And、uh, one thing we can see is the breakdown of the party discipline. And this caused the very serious corruption problem. The corruption towards the end of the Hu Jintao's era has become so serious. This has become another existential threat 
to the Communist Party and to China. This is uh, the background of the rise of Xi Jinping. So when Xi Jinping first came to power, actually many Western observers wrote him off as a weak candidate because he seemed, seems that this is someone who don't have very strong faction background. And uh, uh, he's a compromised candidate between uh, Hu Jintao's faction and the Jiang Zemin's faction. And many people expect that uh, uh, he will be brushed aside very soon. You can just go to Google and you can type Xi Jinping, you can type weak, and you can type before 2012. You, you can see the, the, uh, what the media report back then was saying. Now, the, the thing is, what people did not see is that uh, this crisis actually created an opportunity for Xi and uh, his allies to say that uh, this now is a moment that if we don't get our act together, then the party and the country is actually facing existential crisis. So they used that to rally the party to, uh, to gradually switch towards the other direction, away from the collective leadership towards uh, the, the emphasis is on concentrating power at the top, reduce the factionism in the party, uh, reinstall the party discipline, particularly in the form of uh, anti-corruption. And uh, this whole thing lasted for 10 years and come to what we see at this party congress. This is a moment where you see that uh, all the people in the top leadership they are no longer from uh, any other faction. The, the so-called Yingnisa uh, party talk, the party language called the two established. It sounds uh, akin to anyone who are not uh, familiar with the Communist Party politics. But this uh, so-called two established means that uh, before we can talk about anything else, there are two principles. The first principle is that you have to be politically loyal to Xi Jinping and accept him as the uh, party center, party core. Second uh, uh, principle is that you have to support his uh, uh, policy direction and policy philosophy. Now, this, this is, uh, they said it uh, black and white. They said it in open. This is the first precondition for anyone uh, to get the promotion. So the net result is that, of course, then everyone eventually elevated to the top. They have to pass this uh, political screening. And then you can say that uh, they are basically all the Xi Jinping's people. But uh, everything uh, has another side of the coin, right? So to speak. So at the same time, we have to remember that this is a political party of um, 97 million people. That is a uh, uh, bigger than the total population of Germany. So I think uh, in anywhere, under any system, for 97 million people, if you want to them all to think the same, or to have the same view, or to uh, have the same idea, is humanly impossible. So inevitably, even though uh, on one hand we see this uh, concentration of power at the top, we see this reverse back to the um, away from the factionalism and to this concentration around Xi Jinping. But at the same time, I believe the dynamics gradually will mean that uh, there will be people with a different idea, 
uh, and the different priority, different agenda, inevitably it will exist. And uh, sooner or later, we will see it manifest in a different uh, form or different format. As whether there will be open challenge to Xi Jinping's power, I think that all depends on whether Xi Jinping and his new government, uh, whether they make any serious mistake. If they don't make any serious mistake, then it's very hard for anyone to rise uh, and challenge Xi Jinping. But uh, if uh, they commit mistake, then that will offer opening to others. Then gradually the momentum will, will shift. Now, I know that to many outside observers and uh, uh, readers of China, they, they will think that uh, China's economy is not tanking, uh, China's middle class are panicking, and China's uh, COVID control is getting more and more uh, resistance. But I will say that for politics, five years is a long time. So if Xi Jinping make any kind of a big mistake, then I think it will be too, too early to say that uh, everything will just go his way for the next five or ten years. Great, thank you. I know that this podcast is running a little bit longer than we typically do, but I do want to save some time to ask you some questions with regard to U.S.-China relations. I know at the South China Morning Post, you oversee U.S. coverage and you have deep knowledge of um, Chinese politics and Chinese leaders. From your perspective, as you look at the new lineup of Chinese leaders, both on the general political side, but also broadly on the foreign policy and military side, which members of the top leadership do you see as having the most extensive experience dealing with U.S.-China relations? And are you confident that this new team will be able to navigate U.S.-China relations as well, or depending on how you assess it, as poorly as the prior Chinese team? Right. I will say that in terms of the U.S. experience, uh, the most qualified one, of course, is Wang Yi. So um, Foreign Minister Wang Yi this time has been uh, promoted and elevated to the Politburo. Uh, this is a 24-member in the circle that will provide the most direct support to Xi Jinping. So the elevation of Wang Yi means that uh, Wang Yi will play a more important role in the next five years. And uh, as we all know that Wang Yi has this uh, very extensive experience uh, in dealing with uh, foreign affairs, particularly the U.S. He regularly have meeting with Blinken and uh, uh, I think the, the two, of, uh, two sides has become really familiar with each other. Then, uh, other than Wang Yi, uh, so for the for the eco- uh, uh, economy side, there, unfortunately, Liu He is retired, uh, and Liu He, of course, is a very familiar face to the America, and uh, he's educated in the U.S. Uh, and uh, he has uh, extensive knowledge about uh, uh, U.S. and also the world economy. So I think Liu He's uh, uh, retirement. Uh, in a certain sense, we can say is a loss. And among the young uh, people uh, uh, taking over from Li Keqiang, Liu He, and others, their exposure to the uh, U.S., no matter it's a trade or economic or financial, then I will say they are relatively green. 
So in other words, uh, I think uh, compared with the last uh, leadership, this uh, leadership, the uh, experience, particularly in my view, uh, when it comes to the economic side, uh, the trade side, I will not jump to the conclusion and say that they, they will be uh, less capable, but at least they will be less familiar to the American counterparts and also to the uh, American policymakers. Among them, I think uh, like He Lifeng, who is probably going to take over from Liu He, uh, he has, of, uh, of course, some knowledge and uh, uh, I, I hope some kind of uh, uh, recognition uh, in the U.S. On the ideology side, Wang Huning uh, is the one leader trans- uh, who uh, transited from the previous top leadership to this one. Now, Wang Huning, uh, of course, is familiar with the U.S. Uh, system. He uh, spent quite some time and also many years studying the uh, different political system and particularly the political system in the U.S. So, uh, but the, the, the thing is, Wang Funing is not responsible for the uh, concrete policy decision or the face-to-face negotiation. So it will be very interesting to see, other than Wang Yi, who will emerge as uh, Xi Jinping's uh, main envoy to uh, responsible for the day-to-day communication and also negotiation with the U.S. officials particularly on the economic side, on trade, on uh, technology and other communication. But at the same time, we need to remember that uh, now uh, China-U.S. relations has has become the single most important uh, issue um, uh, for China, one of the single most important issues. So that means that Xi Jinping himself will dedicate a lot of the time on uh, the China-U.S. relations. So in the end, who will be the person who carry out the negotiation and uh, the communication with the U.S. side? Probably you can argue is less important than before, because in the end, all the decision will have to go back to Xi Jinping. So let me ask one final question to wrap up this podcast. You mentioned that you view U.S.-China relations as one of the most single most important issues for Xi Jinping and for China. What is that assessment based on? Because I've also heard other scholars, including in the U.S. and elsewhere, say, you know, um, foreign policy isn't really as important to Xi versus the domestic issues, the economic challenges that Xi faces. How do you, do you have a sense or do you have um good evidence on how much time she spends, for example, on U.S.-China issues versus the other full range of issues that he has to deal with. Right. I, I, think, I think this depends on how do you define the China, uh, uh, China's U.S. policy, right? So if uh, you narrowly define it as uh, how much Xi Jinping value the good relations with the U.S., how eager Xi Jinping uh, is to say to meet President Biden, or how eager Xi Jinping is uh, to have a treaty or a deal with the United States. Then, if you narrow it in such a narrow definition, then I I would say yes, probably this is not something that uh, keep him awake during bad time. 
But if you uh, look at the uh, China-U.S. relationship from the point of view is that uh, it will decide China's uh, economic policy. It will decide China's uh, foreign policy. It will decide China's uh, strategy over Taiwan. It will decide China's uh, military development. The U.S. is obviously the elephant in the room. So even when they talk about uh, policy issues that are not directly related to U.S., U.S. is the one consideration factor looming at large. So take the economic policy. So many people say that one uh, policy departure you see from Xi Jinping is this uh, emphasis on self-reliance. Now, some people say that this is to do with uh, his uh, ideology liking. So he's uh, someone who always have this uh, 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 emphasis on uh, state-owned enterprise, uh, more on the state as the main economic actor, uh, and uh, emphasize on uh, self-reliance and all that. I think that uh, uh, that is some level of truth in it, but this alone cannot actually explain the uh, policy uh, change we see in China. And if you look at uh, the kind of person Xi Jinping uh, trust uh, for the economic policy like Liu He, obviously I, I, I cannot say that uh, uh, they actually from the get-go already decided that China needs to switch away from U.S. and uh, emphasize more on self-reliance. Actually, in the early days of the trade war, what uh, the Chinese government and including Xi Jinping, what they tried is to really make the decoupling as difficult as possible. They still very much want to make sure that uh, there's uh, no uh, disruption or abrupture of the China-U.S. economic relations. And uh, even in the early days of the Biden administration, we can still see that this is the, uh, the direction that they're trying to. But gradually they realize is that uh, the US and uh, China uh, on the economic side, the kind of uh, grand reconciliation probably is uh, not very feasible. Despite the pres presidential changes uh, in the White House, the China policy largely remained the same. If anything, I think under Biden, the, the kind of uh, pressure on China, the, the kind of uh, technology restriction is actually, actually becoming, getting uh, uh, worse and worse. This is actually something very consciously they realize. And the policy, the economic policy, a lot of the time is in reaction to this. So the emphasis on the self-innovation, uh, self-reliance, uh, the so-called dual circulation and all that, they have some uh, domestic factors, uh, but they also come as a response to the U.S. economic actions. Well, Zhenyang, thank you so much for this uh, excellent in-depth discussion of everything from the details of the party congress, how to get in, how reporters are able to cover, to the content of the party congress, and then, of course, ending up more broadly on U.S.-China relations. I really appreciate you joining us today to share your deep insight and knowledge about China and as well as Chinese policy. Thanks, and also thanks for the opportunity.